Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life the podcast that explores the power of mindfulness and meditation in transforming our lives. I'm your host Avik and today we have a very special guest joining us Ruth Pierno a true mindfulness ninja I would say. So <laughs> so are you tired of using mindfulness and meditation as a mere means to feel calm and avoid the challenges that life throws at you well ruth believes that you can do so much more so she is yes. here to inspire you to become a mindfulness ninja a warrior who fearlessly confronts the dark corners of your mind and neutralizes anything that hinders your growth and happiness so Ruth's uh, journey began in 21 years ago in Shaolin, China, where she immersed herself in the study of kung fu and qigong. Uh, I guess I pronounced it right, right? Pretty good, yeah. Uh, although you know, with my accent, I approximate <laughs> as best I can too. <laughs> so, so uh, like where her learning uh, meditation and mindfulness. So this foundation laid the uh, groundwork for her to become a trauma therapist certified in EMDR, uh, leading therapy for PTSD. So drawing from her extensive uh, mindfulness practice and therapeutic expertise, Ruth developed a process called therapeutic mindfulness a healing skill uh, not a coping skill so with this approach she has witnessed incredible transformations in her clients so they learn to work through the challenging emotions on their own and gain confidence in their ability to heal and even become comfortable reducing the therapy sessions So in this episode uh, Ruth will share her wisdom and guide us on a journey toward a happier life. So get ready to unlock your inner mindfulness ninja and embrace the true power of mindfulness for personal growth and healing. So stay tuned for this enlightening conversation that will empower you to be the hero you have always had inside you so let's dive in and explore the world of therapeutic mindfulness with the incredible ruth peer now so welcome ruth to the episode wow how that was beautiful i uh, i'm sure glad i actually have real things to say cuz that intro was so thorough you <laughs> wow <laughs> 
It's fun though that, you know, somehow I, this mindfulness ninja title kind of popped in my head and it gives me such a great chuckle. And yet I'm not even the first one to talk about that. When you talk about warrior, Pema Chodron, the renowned Buddhist teacher of meditation talks about people who go into the dark with their meditation practice, calls them spiritual warriors. And so I think it really is a, a great explanation of what it's like because uh, you're going into dark stuff and it's not easy, but the rewards are beautiful. True, exactly true. So, so like uh, I can't wait to uh, learn a lot of things from you. So I have uh, I have few things in my mind. Like uh, so, just to start with, like if you can share a bit more about your personal journey, like how you discovered the power of mindfulness as a healing tool. Okay. Well, for some reason, I don't know why in my DNA or my personality, but I was always into learning and growth. Once I lived on my own, you know, that became a focus. And there was this random thing where I had a friend who is a, um, just a fan of martial arts and Kung Fu and all the things. And he's like, um, I want to go to China. You know, I'm there, there's these schools there and you can study Kung Fu. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be cool. You need company? And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and we had a master there who was teaching Kung Fu. Actually, even his students taught us because we're such beginners sometimes. But he came out and lectured on Qigong. Um, and it's it's a funny thing because even though I was studying both of those there and I was immersed, I lived at the school. I had a student ID. I was there uh, for over a month. And you don't really, you know, develop your skill all through that. It's something that takes time. But um, that was when I started really trying to create an active practice and figure it all out. And even outside of the studies there, I'm, you know, reading books about clearing the mind, about, you know, these techniques that uh, meditators use. I'm in my quiet room practicing. And when I got home, I kept doing the same thing. And I found it difficult. <laughs> I found it difficult as a lot of people do. And I um, gravitated toward learning some other tools like um, guided visualizations, which is what a lot of us have on YouTube, you know, imagine the beach and all the senses. Fast forward a decade, I go back to school to become a therapist. And I start learning about the mind and trying to figure out what healing is and what that looks like. And um, I went right to trauma therapy, you know, because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm about going to the source. And as I gained skill, I started to notice a few things. When I was an intern, we were taught to teach our clients grounding skills. Grounding skills use some basic mindfulness techniques. Um, and then at other times, we're taught, like in trauma therapy, we're taught to teach people safe place and visualization techniques. Now, first off, let me say that coping skills have a lot of use, that all the mindfulness stuff has a huge amount of scientific backing. Um, it's greatly beneficial. So I'm not downplaying what's already out there. What I did notice, though, is if that's all you're doing, if I feel bad, I'm like, oh, my God, I feel bad. I feel bad. I need, okay, visualize the beach, the sun on my skin, the waves, you know, and immediately you try to use it so you don't have to have a feeling. Now you're no longer being mindful because mindfulness is focused attention and non-judgment, and they have to go together. 
And if I say this feeling, I can't handle it, it's unacceptable, it needs to go away, it's bad, you're no longer without judgment. You're just avoiding. And so there is such thing as, you know, mindfulness and positive and feeling peaceful. But if you never address the bad stuff, your mind starts to recognize, hey, you're just avoiding stuff. So I saw people that had just huge levels of avoidance. Uh, the first times I walked them through or someone else walked them through one of these mindfulness techniques, they're amazed. Oh my God, it's so peaceful. I haven't felt this peaceful in years. This must be the answer. Yeah. And they think that's the only answer and they become so avoidant until their techniques actually stop working because their brain gets tired of holding on to everything. So I saw that and I recognized what was going on, you know, being a, I didn't just learn it from an internship. I had been practicing for years and I realized that because it's avoidance, there is another way. Traditional mindfulness meditation is mindfulness on whatever you can notice thoughts come and go but when your body comes up or your mind your inner experience comes up with really intense things you're also also supposed to notice that without judgment you're not supposed to push it away and i learned that doing it a certain way doing it without your story doing it without judgment just being aware of the experience can actually heal what's negative coming up and some people can do it in an open form meditation, but if people are not trained, they don't have the mind training, they don't have the meditation background, they don't have the ability to empty their mind, they can still use my process to get out of the story, hmm. the story that just keeps you stuck. And it teaches you how to go into your body with a lot of focus and then they can actually do it too. So I've created, I've made it like Western step-by-step step and if you can tolerate some feelings, some emotions, then you can do this process. Wow, that's great. Like, definitely, I would love to try it, for sure. <laughs> well, that's that's always a possibility. Um, <laughs> you know, we need to do that because it's, um, it's something where, and, and it can be, I wonder if it's slow to watch or if it's fascinating. It's fascinating for me and probably not that interesting to listen to. <laughs> But, you know, what I have people do is bring up something. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I didn't write a book about the positive ways of using mindfulness because there's a million of those out there. But I wrote a book called Therapeutic Mindfulness. So when you're feeling bad, here's how you do it on that. And so if, if I'm meditating, but I had an argument with my husband and all this like hurt and resentment's popping up then I can say, okay, wait a minute. It keeps intruding into my meditation. Clearly my mind wants to work on this. Let me get out of my thoughts and into my body by asking it some key questions. Um, so you know how we have like feelings that express with the body. Yeah. If you feel anxious, where does it come up in your body typically? So it's in mind only. I mean, we think like we are anxious. Something is going into my mind. Okay. So your mind gets spinny or busy or heavy. Yes. Okay. And what about sadness? Is there a different place if really big sadness hits you? Do you know where that comes up for you? 
chest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, it's a little different, although um, trunk is really common everywhere in the center. Chest is probably the most common, um, but head, stomach, throat, shoulders, a lot of things come up. So if I'm having a lot of sadness and resentment come up and I'm feeling like heaviness on my chest or pressure in my head or something like that, what I say to people is, okay, imagine that feeling has like is its own thing. It has the size. If it had a size, how big would it be? Mm. If it has a shape, what would that look like? If it has a color, what does that look like? And I have them describe all these dimensions. And, you know, our logical brain, if we hear this, it kind of sounds, okay, I, I don't know what that's going to do. But I'm telling you, when you go through it, or you might think, oh, my, my stuff doesn't have a shape. It's never hot or cold. But when I talk people through these questions, and they've never done any of this before, and answer intuitively bubbles out. They don't know where it came from, but it's coming from a deeper place than your logical brain, which is what we want. You don't fix emotional problems with logic, <laughs> you know? I'm panicking. Oh, well, no one dies on, you like, almost no one dies on an airplane. Oh, great, I feel better. Like, you don't solve it with logic. So we go into the body where emotions are expressed, get super focused on that feeling, and then I teach people how to be without judgment in that feeling. And I have, you know, there's um, in the back of my book, Therapeutic Mindfulness, I have these uh, an appendix with the worksheets. And there are these phrases you can find one, you know, one or some of the phrases to help allow it. So I'll tell people, let the feeling be there. Give it space. Let yourself be uncomfortable just for now. Or one of my favorite is feelings are uncomfortable, not lethal. So let it be there. You know, and our only job in this is to observe the feeling. I, I've had people get spikes, heaviness, crushing, squeezing, can't breathe, hot, cold, really uncomfortable stuff. I've had people get headaches in the middle of session, nauseous in the middle of session. And I say, okay, notice the headache. Notice the whatever it is. Let it be there. Give it space. It's just a hurt part of you that's speaking. And they just watch it and they'll get a headache and then it'll go away within 10 minutes and they'll feel better. And the thing that hurts doesn't hurt so much anymore. It's a cool thing to watch. I got to tell you. <laughs> wow, that's, that's a lovely thing. Like, uh, yeah, for sure. So, so with this, like, um, so, something is also coming to my mind. Like, how does a, a therapeutic uh, mindfulness differ from other approaches to mindfulness like what sets it apart as a, a healing skill rather than a mm -hmm. just a coping skill plan that's a really good question first let me define for people what i think of so the the full book title it's in their therapeutic mindfulness a healing skill not a coping skill. So why am I worried about this? It's funny because I actually talk about coping skills at the end of the book. But to me, a coping skill is beautiful, wonderful, temporary solution, right? So if something really scary or upsetting happens and I have my child with me, this is a good time for a coping skill. I'm going to shove my feelings down and make sure she or he, my, my child, in my case, it's a girl. So make sure my daughter feels safe. Take care of that. Do what I need to do. Comfort her. And as she's in bed and she feels safe or as safe as possible and feels comforted and knows that at least I'm there, she's done it and I'm alone. Now it's not time to cope anymore. 
I shoved it down to take care of her. But if I want it not to hurt me, then I need to go in and actually work on healing the feeling. Otherwise, if you're just coping it all, it just stacks up. It piles for years. I have people come in seven years later talking about I'm grieving something. And how come it's not gone by now? How come I'm still grieving this? And I'm like, well, you never faced it. Let me tell you, if you don't face your feelings, they will wait for you. They will wait. So, um, so that's why we need healing skills. I'm going to go past this. So mindfulness as it's used, it's just really as it's used. Like, honestly, I didn't invent any individual thing. I, I consider my brain a synthesizer of information. So there are People that you can find in meditation communities that you can find in the East. I'm in the West. You can find people in the East. You can find people that understand what true mindfulness meditation is. If I'm emptying my mind and a dragon of fiery hell and anger erupts, then I don't just, I I might try and watch it float away. If it doesn't float away, then I'm going to watch it. So, um, you know, there are people in meditation traditions that understand this, but in the West, we've been taught, okay, breathe really slowly, focus on the leaves, focus on the beach, focus on whatever. And um, they have their purposes. But when you're hurting, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to heal. So mine is basically, I've kind of Westernized the process Step one, step two, step three, you're going to find the feeling. You're going to use these questions to get into your body. It doesn't matter if you're a meditator. If you're not in the story, it will distract you. So here's how you get into your body. Here's how you don't judge it. Use these phrases repetitively to keep yourself open and non-judgmental. And then repeat that and just be with the feeling. So it's like, uh, essentially, I the tools on how to get into the body. I use that from a wonderful um, uh, EMDR trauma therapist. Um, It's like a little snippet from a completely unrelated exercise. So I kind of gathered some of that stuff um, and then some of the somatic stuff and the mindfulness. And so if I, if I were to sum up and answer your question shortly, it's step-by-step, you don't have to be an experienced meditator. And it is something you, you specifically do going into the negative feeling instead of away. Those would probably be the real identifiers that make it different from what you're, we're used to seeing. Wow. That's, that's really great. I mean, I mean, the question was very small, but, uh, the way you explained, uh, it will definitely uh, make people uh, understand better and it will clear uh, people and its uh, importance as well. So uh, so with this, like, can you also explain uh, the concept of being mindfulness ninja and uh, how it relates to using mindfulness to confront and overcome challenges uh, in our lives? So um, I've used mindfulness to overcome challenges. So this is interesting because it's going to get me a little bit into my spiritual ideology and this general concept about how the mind works and healing. But one of my basic concepts that I share with people is I believe that our, our mind is a split deal. We've got two sides of a mind or a brain. So this side of your mind is 
tenderness, loving, compassion, care, peace, contentment, wisdom. And this side of your mind is a big jerk. It's just a jerk. (laughs) And when you're in a negative state, if you listen to the thoughts that you have, if you were to say those things out loud, people would be like, wow, they're a jerk. Um, And we all have it. So I call it jerk brain. That's one of my little quirks. I like to call that part of the mind jerk brain. And um, this, this parallels spiritual concepts, but I just describe it, you know, in therapy for people this way, you've got your higher self and your jerk brain. Jerk brain really is all based in fear. Everything is fear. If I'm angry, it's because I'm putting up huge defenses so I can deal with something that I'm afraid of. If I'm anxiety is fear. Um, Depression, a lot of times is the fear that our belief that we are shameful and terrible is true. And so there's fear and shame in that one, right? There's always fear involved um, with jerk brain or that side of the mind. So when we're operating from a place of fear, It's not the best life. It really isn't. And if we, when the negative feelings come up, if we have a way to go in and heal it. So whenever my ex-husband calls and causes a lot of trouble, right? And I get all worked up. Or if my boss is taking credit for my worker, I don't know, you know, make up any old, any old thing that could happen and found out that person was back talking me to the mom group in the PTA, whatever the situation is, and we're reacting to it. If you can stop and go into your feelings and heal them, then you have like a healed mind has access to that higher self, that higher wisdom. We all have higher wisdom. If you don't believe in a higher power, then it's your intuition. That's what I called it when I was 25. I said, oh, my intuition actually knows some stuff. I should listen to that, you know? So how can help us get through life? In this case, if you eradicate the fear, if you heal the hurt, if you deal with that and soothe that upset, scared, tormented part of your mind, and you're calm and peaceful, then you have access to the clarity, the wisdom, whatever your spiritual tradition is, you have access and you can make better decisions and you can show up in a kind way. So really it is a tool that if you also are into listening to your wisdom or trying to, or just trying to figure stuff out, you'll have a lot more a lot more well, clarity, wisdom, you'll be able to deal with all of life better when you're not coming from a place of fear. And plus, if you think about, do I want to live a life based on reacting to fear versus not? I think on that surface level, we should understand very clearly which one's going to give us a better life. Um, I hope there's sometimes fear of getting rid of fear. But generally, if we see people that look genuinely happy, we don't see them feeling happy because they're so fearful. They took care of everything and now it's all better. That doesn't exist. Fear propagates fear. So when we see people that look truly happy, I don't know about you, but I've never seen like they look so happy. They must be scared. It doesn't go together. So deal with the fear and live a clear, happier life is, I guess, bottom line, how to answer that. Yes. So, like, uh, understanding this is really uh, grateful. But uh, with this, I also believe uh, somewhere down the line, uh, there is uh, there may be some uh, common uh, misconceptions also. So, what are some common misconceptions or maybe misunderstandings uh, 
people have about mindfulness and uh, its role in healing and uh, if you have come up uh, with any kind of misconceptions uh, so how do you address those uh, in your work ah so let's see one misconception is i need to sit still and empty my mind well <laughs> i've been studying for decades but i don't have time to sit in a mountain and learn how to be you know a proper monk or whatever you know so i i don't i now at this stage i have had times where i can empty my mind but um i think i got a little adhd brain going on so that's not the primary goal but as i go through life and heal the things that pop up for me it just makes more and more way for a happier happy life so you don't have to be able to empty your mind to make this work and i hope that all these people that really want mindfulness are jumping up and down right now and saying i don't have to empty my mind thank goodness because as a therapist i've had so many people you know i'll bring it up like hey have you, do you do meditation do you have a practice and they're like well i tried but i just can't empty my mind and i'm like yeah i can't most of the time like cool and <laughs> i mean i'm not that i'm not mean to them about it but i am jokey you know i want them to know that it's light and it's okay and there are other ways but this goes directly to the negative stuff and healing it and the process helps you get out of your mind that's actually if there's one thing that i created that is that i haven't seen done before specifically this way is you can get out of your chatter brain using the questions to focus you on your body and that application is one of the major uh solutions to a lot of the stuff that bugs us about mindfulness so yeah you don't have to empty your brain that's a big one um another one is that when people start working on negative feelings i don't know if this is more mindfulness or more a therapy thing but it, you know if you're going to work on some negative feelings you have to like throw your whole heart on the table and watch it beating and blood squirting at oh gosh that's a graphic part <laughs> excuse me <laughs> but it, it's you don't rip yourself past um the protection so uh, in my book i get to chapter five and I describe the whole process of therapeutic mindfulness, and it's just a few pages. And then there's 10 more chapters. And the chapter on resistance is 26 pages. Okay. Right. So our mind comes up with lots of ways to avoid. So if you're thinking that to heal, you have to go right to the most vulnerable pain and it's going to be absolutely frightening and you can't handle it or you have to force yourself to go. Um, forcing ourselves is not a kind way to deal with a traumatized part. And so another thing I teach in the book is all these different ways that layers of protection come up around the soft, you know, underbelly to to keep us what we believe is safe so i do a lot of teaching in the book about what's coming up you know doing mindfulness on the fear of going there doing mindfulness on the shame around it doing mindfulness on the things that are um that are coming up oh i i can't be afraid of it i have to force past it no 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 like you're you're near panic right now let's honor that and be kind to that part that's so hurt and when we're kind to the fear it dissolves and then we can go another level closer to the actual vulnerable pain so i guess that that would be um 
like mindfulness. Well, that's probably not how a lot of people think of it. I would imagine, but being mindful. So there's a, okay. I got the myth. The myth would be if you're doing it right, you feel peaceful. Eventually that would be the goal, but I'm not always right away. And it depends on what you're doing it on. So. The, 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 um, the main thing which uh, I loved in this, uh, as you mentioned, like we do not need to uh, empty our brain. So, uh, so for sure, like uh, even I was also thinking like, is it really possible to empty our brain? I, I don't think so. Like some, if we, if we also try to focus on emptying our brain for maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but it's 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 really impossible because something or the other is coming to our mind and it's not becoming empty. Well, you know, even monks. So we have like some stereotypes of monks that do this for a living. Right. And what do we see? We see this. I do this a lot in my videos. You know, they're going, oh, right. They're doing the ohm and there's a candle or there might be a chant. OK, why would they need that if they're completely empty? Even super experienced mind trained meditators have um, what my husband calls uh, a carrier wave. It's like a rock to hold on to. So you're trying to empty your mind, but how do you do it? And there are all these techniques. All the ancient traditions have a technique on how to empty your mind. You're going to chant something that takes some concentration because it's in another language or You're going to go through a series of things to keep your brain busy so your mind can be quiet. You can look at a candle and listen to some chanting and have that help keep your focus. Um, Or there's a lot of body descriptions. Almost every visualization or guided meditation has a lot of body descriptions to try to help you focus. So this idea that we need to empty our mind, even on traditional meditations that aren't specifically focused on negative, just um, the empty your mind does not empty your mind. Um, There's other ones like you can have a phrase that you're going to say, and you might be able to have three seconds between that phrase and before your mind gets distracted. So every three seconds you repeat it. And as you get more focused or deeper into it, it might be every five seconds, every 10 seconds, every 12. Nope. My mind's going off again. Let's go back to every five seconds. And these are very experienced meditators that know this. So you have to have a a quiet mind. Oh, clearly, no wonder everyone thinks they can't do it. You know, so even the traditional meditations, if you're exploring that, you do not have to empty your mind. Find what the experts use. Find a carrier wave. Find what works for you. Um, All spiritual traditions, whether it's Buddhism, Kabbalah, um, all these have something like that and that's why there's um you know on youtube there'll be a cool like graphic visualization with colors and like music so you've got two of your senses involved and then if you're doing alms on on top of that you have four senses involved because you're now using speech and you're feeling a reverberation in your chest if you ever do an ohm and really get mindful you'll feel that in your chest so um yeah Empty the mind. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> At least not for me, not for a lot of people. I I know. No, no, exactly true, exactly. So, so I I I thought. Let me also share this because, uh, like, if if I'm also facing this issue, maybe there are a lot of listeners who are also facing this kind of issue. So uh, it it will definitely gonna help them understand better. Uh, mm. 
so so uh, with this also uh, want to understand like is there any process um or maybe you can tell us the process of therapeutic mindfulness uh, and, and and how it can be um, uh, integrated into our daily lives so any specific techniques are there or maybe there are some exercises uh, which yeah. are really beneficial i have all of those and and i think it's kind of big for uh you know for just the session but what i've described already um says a lot of the process but um i would really encourage people to uh to check out the book um i you know i wish i could give it really easy but there's so much stuff that comes in the mind that blocks us from that but in general there is noticing the pain point right so something comes up that's painful and then we get out of our head and into our body and there's a whole series of questions that i ask to get people in and that's you know talking to the feelings so we get out of our heads into the body and then you're going to allow the feelings we we really need to get embedded in non-judgment so remember mindfulness is focused attention and non-judgment these are the two pillars so the process itself what we're focusing on for negative feelings is where is the feeling in your body what is that like and there's all kinds of ways that can show up and then we're going to remind ourselves to not judge it and to give it all the space it needs and that's when we start talking to it we're like okay give it space let it be there let it be uncomfortable um and then we just repeat that again and again what's going on in your body let it be there what's going on um and maybe it would help you know again i i think to describe it and let people know exactly what to do um there's it's like the process is simple but there's other things that come up that can be confusing because um i i don't want people to get discouraged when some normal resistant things come up or when their mind wants to pop back into their brain um i'd rather them you know take a more deep look at the process but if it's helpful i could tell you about what people have experienced doing it um for example there was a time when um i was doing therapeutic mindfulness on myself which by the way that's that's what got me through my divorce so quickly like months after my divorce i'm like 83% healed from all of my stuff around that. Now, I, I think that's pretty impressive, but also hopefully people are hearing that it's not a switch, right? It is work and effort. And 83 was the, you know, low hanging fruit, the really intense stuff that was coming. And I would sit with it and it would just come and go like a wave, just flow through me. It would get intense and then lessen and flow away. And then I would think about that and there would be no pain. Um, and then there were like, there was like 17% of stuff that still kind of hung around. And if I really thought about it, I'd go on an anti angry rant about my ex, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm not completely healed there. Got it. <laughs> you know, it's good information. But, um, usually when I do mindfulness on myself, it tends to show up as a clenching in the throat or a heavy kind of cloudiness in my chest. And I feel that, but one time I was doing it and remember whatever comes up, um, not judging it. So if it's weird, then it's fine. That is weird. If it's really painful, then it like, it's really not judging it. So one time I was doing it and I started feeling what was like a saw blade in my skull over the left hemisphere. And it's funny because only three weeks, three weeks prior, I had a client have a saw blade and I'd never heard that before in their skull. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So 
there's a saw blade in my skull. And I'm like, well, it's my implant, so we're just going to let it be there. So I keep watching it. Okay, let's see what it does next. You know, there's like this aspect of curiosity that goes to it. So it starts moving forward and forward, and then it kind of culminates in my eye. And it's very painful as if I have something um, being stabbed into my eye. And um, because it's mindfulness, I don't judge it. I'm like, well, that's new. (laughs) That's never happened before. Let's see what it does next. And then just spontaneously, a memory from my childhood popped up where I was threatened by a smaller kid that they would stab me in the eye with a pencil. And um, that's the kind of thing that, like, even though I'm bigger, it's a vulnerable place. They catch me unawares, and that is possible. And that threat of violence and that vivid imagery, it stuck with me as, you know, this is part of why I have to have my guard up. So I noticed the memory and, you know, I can analyze or think about it later, but because we're in mindfulness, I don't want to be in my story and like analyzing, right? That you can analyze the rest of the time that you're awake. During this time I'm doing mindfulness. I'm like, okay, I acknowledge the story. That's interesting. That memory popped up. Let's stay with it. And it's very painful, my left eye. And I just stay with it and then became less sharp, less painful. And then it dissolved and went away. So that is one example of how it can show up. And when I do mindfulness with somebody, this type of mindfulness, I do therapeutic mindfulness um, with somebody and something they tell me about is super duper painful, you know, like, a well, like getting stabbed in the eye, right? Um, and they'll have sometimes a memory that they're talking about or a situation and it's really painful or a thought he never loved me and it's really painful. Um, that one probably be like a gaping hole in the heart. And 30 minutes later, sometimes 20, sometimes 15 minutes later when we're done, if that goes away completely, I'll, I say, you remember we're not avoiding. So I'll say, okay, go back to where we started. Think about the fight where it felt like he never loved you and check in with that pain. And they'll kind of shrug their shoulders at me like, it's not there. And when you can look square in the face at the thing that bothered you and you're like, nah, nothing. That's what we want. That's where it goes. So um, I wish I could encapsulate it all, but um, there's just a, a lot of little details. And that's why I wrote about it. But I hope that this is inspiring people. There may be active meditators that know right now, oh, I can just pay attention to it if they have that focus. For anybody else who finds that they can't stay with that focus or they find that their mind gets into talking and it's not working for them, then I definitely encourage check out the book. I've done, um, I've put down all the basics, troubleshooting, um, how to cultivate compassion. Compassion, in my opinion, is the key component component of healing as opposed to self-judgment. And we hear that a lot in self-help, but we don't know how to apply it and what to do. And I described how to do that with therapeutic mindfulness. That's great. And and I believe like uh, if people would, uh, read your book, they will definitely gonna get a better picture of it. So um, like uh, also like for someone who is new to mindfulness and uh, want to start harnessing its power of healing. So what advice or guidance would you give them to begin their journey? Uh. Well, if they're beginning then and they want to use it for healing, then this 
this is what it's built for. I, you know, I, I'm a trauma therapist in the middle of the Midwest of the U.S. Uh, I'm in Indiana. And around here, um, mindfulness has become pretty much ubiquitous. But around here, a lot of people are still skeptical. So working with beginners is kind of what I do. And that's why I have this process. You don't have to have that training. So the book would be great. But a good starting exercise would really be what do I feel and where is it in my body? And um, doing your best not to judge it, but just notice almost like you're taking notes. You don't want to, you want to be neutral in opinion, or if you can kind in your opinion, but never judgmental. So what do I feel? Where is it in my body? And um, you can actually do that. You could do it every hour of the day. If you want to get a really intense or, or I won't say intense, thorough understanding of what your emotional life is like, or you could do it once a day just to build um, awareness of how emotions show up in your body. I did have someone come to me that had a lot of instability. This is another sanctioned story. It's in the book um, where she, her, her therapy session was the next day, but she called me for an emergency therapy session. I'm like, oh, okay, that's new. All right, come on in. And um, something had happened to trigger a, a really underlying deep core belief for her. And the core belief is I'm unstable. Like I can't handle stuff basically. And it's just this, you know, two decades long sense of being absolutely unstable and unmanageable in emotions. And so I suggested, well, why don't you check in? What do, where do I feel? Or what do I feel? Where's it in my body? Um, and if you can do it every 20 minutes, that'd be great. And so she did, she, she hated her job. She's a clock watcher. So every 20 minutes is a good distraction. What do I feel? Where's it in my body? The next day she came back. I can't believe how much better I feel. And she did it for the next week. And then the week after that, she just, she went down to every 30 minutes. Then she went down to every hour. Then she only did it every hour at work because she hates work. <laughs> and uh, and that's still kind of an integral part, but that gave her such a sense of stability, just having that awareness. So that is the first exercise in the book. It's a good place to start. And um, if anyone is doing a spiritual practice, seeing a therapist, doing any healing at all, having the awareness of connecting, we've all heard mind body, right? This is connecting. What do I feel? Where's in my body? Cause it's in your body. Um, and people that have a lot of dissociation will sometimes not feel it. They'll go, they'll separate from the body because it's overwhelming. Um, by the way, if you, if you do have dissociation, definitely don't try this on your own, see a therapist, but if you can tolerate some emotion, what do I feel? Where's it in my body? And you can just notice it for like 30 seconds. Do that on a regular. Wow. That's great. So, um, as, as as we conclude our conversation, so what final thoughts or messages uh, would you like to leave our listeners with regarding the therapeutic mindfulness and its potential for transforming lives? To share is that is that there is a way to heal feelings, to handle feelings. Our mind by default wants, like desperately, desperately wants to suppress them. Don't feel bad if you do it. It's like default mind, you know, like here's how we cope. We suppress it. And when we try to face it, then we go down a thought rabbit hole and we feel even worse. And so no wonder we go back to suppressing it because nothing else works. That's our, that's our experience for most of us. I didn't grow up learning this. Most people haven't. But there is another option. 
And so I want to give people hope. And if it starts slowly, um, they may need to develop tolerance by practicing on smaller things, tolerance to feeling it and being uncomfortable. But if you can learn this and practice this on a regular, it's such it's so powerful. This is the most powerful thing that I can give people to take home without my help. You know, as a therapist, there are other things I can do for people, but what you can do on your own, this is the best tool I have to give them. So I just want them to have hope to know that there is another way to heal. And, um, and I hope that that is enough information to get them curious and get them wanting to check it out. Oh, that's, that's really great. That's really great. And so as I already mentioned, uh, as we come to the end of this enlightening episode, on uh, therapeutic mindfulness, harnessing the power of mindfulness for healing. So I want to actually extend my heartfelt gratitude to our guest, Ruth, for sharing her wisdom and insights with us. So Ruth's journey, as I already mentioned in the beginning of this episode, like from studying meditation and mindfulness in Shaolin, China, uh, to beginning a trauma therapist has given her a unique perspective on the healing potential of mindfulness. So through her work, she has witnessed firsthand the transformative power of therapeutic mindfulness. So it's a skill that goes beyond mere coping, right? So we have learned that being mindfulness ninja means embracing mindfulness as a tool for growth and happiness infiltrating the darkness or the darkest corners of our minds and neutralizing anything that hinders our well-being. So Ruth's expertise and guidance have shown us that therapeutic mindfulness is not about avoidance, but about facing the hard stuff head on, allowing us to become the heroes of our own lives. So as you embark on your own mindfulness journey, always remember that mindfulness is just about feeling calm. Uh, it's a profound healing uh, skill that can help us work through emotions, cultivate self-confidence, and um, ultimately it leads to the happier lives. So Ruth's teachings and concepts of therapeutic mindfulness offer us a powerful framework to tap into this potential. I hope this episode has inspired you to explore mindfulness as a transformative force into your life. So always remember that you have the capacity to become a mindfulness ninja and embrace the power of therapeutic mindfulness for your own growth and happiness. So thank you for joining us on Healthy Mind and Healthy Life. Be sure thank to so stay tuned and, and also for the listeners that be sure to stay tuned for future episodes where we continue to explore new paths towards welding and personal transformation. So until then, may you have cultivated the mindfulness, the resilience and inner peace on your own remarkable journey. So, so that that's all for today's episode. And we are really grateful that we had uh, Ruth today with us in this episode. Thank you, Ruth, for joining uh, in this episode and making us making this episode a kind of enlightenment. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was delightful. That's great.